Marino rolls left. Looks. Going to throw to the back of the end zone. Reaching up. Makes a catch. Good one. He's got it. Touchdown. Seahawks. Marquise Goodwin. Far side of the end zone. Diving for the ball. 7.03 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Brady Henderson, ESPN NFL Nation, is going to join us in a sec to preview Seahawks and Raiders. Before we get to that, we got some business to attend to. Ready, set, go. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are also brought to you by our two in particular, North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Hour one of the podcast is now in the books. A-Dog, is it available for public consumption? Uh, in about 10 minutes. Perfect. That features an interview live from Qatar with Peter Galindo talking about Canada at the World Cup. England, USA later today. Uh, that was the soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. If you want to hear that interview with Peter live from Qatar, download the Hour One podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Petco, Canadian Tire, Starbucks, wherever. Okay, let's get to the I get, National... I get mine at Petco. There you go. Let's, yeah. uh, let's get to the National Football League now, specifically the Seattle Seahawks, joining us as he does every week on this program, Brady Henderson from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Brady. How are you? Good morning, fellas. Doing great. How's it going? Good. It feels like it's been a while since we've actually got to be, sink into some Seahawks stuff because that game a couple weeks ago, while it was actual NFL action, uh, it was over in Munich, so it felt a little bit of distance between us and them. And then, of course, they came back, had their bye week, and now it's all prepped for this game. Against the Raiders, uh, a Raiders team that has not been great this season, maybe the most disappointing team in the NFL, but they are coming off a victory against Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. So an interesting matchup, to say the least. Yeah, and they've been disappointing. Really, that entire division has been disappointing. Do you That's remember, true. and I was guilty of this too, you remember how the talk was, how loaded the AFC West is after the Wilson trade, mm -hmm. uh, after the Chargers got Khalil Mack, uh, you know, the, the Raiders got Devontae Adams and all that stuff. And so, uh, and, you know, Chandler Jones has been a huge disappointment in his own right. So, yeah, Raiders, they've got a lot of talent on that team. And I think that's why this, this does not seem like a, a gimme game. And I don't even know if there are such things as gimme games in the NFL, but this is definitely not one of them. There's, uh, there's a lot of talent on that team. And it's just, it is kind of weird that they're only, what, four and seven. Uh, whatever the record is, I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but um, you know, well, I think two of their wins have been over the Raiders, which just to show you um, just kind of how bad they've been, but still a, a very loaded team. I guess these next three games are really for the Seahawks about, hey, don't blow this because you've got an opportunity to prove a lot of people wrong about your team this season. So far, you've done a great job of it, and you're six and four. Now you go the Raiders one of the most disappointing teams in the NFL this season. Then you go down to L.A. to play the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champs, but the Rams are a shell of those, uh, you know, of that Super Bowl team right now. And then you've got another home game against Carolina, which might be the easiest of the three because 
if you don't do well in those three, then you've kind of wasted this opportunity to host the 49ers and go to Kansas City and maybe get a surprise result uh, against the Chiefs. So I imagine that's the message from Pete Carroll. It's not a, it's not a tough message to, to get across, but like stay focused on the task at hand because you have a good opportunity here. Yeah, and, and I think he does a really good job of, of messaging that exact same thing. And, and, you know, we're talking about this three-game stretch, and he's talking about, you know, this next game being their quote-unquote Super Bowl. And it, and it really sounds like coach speak, but I think there is a, a tendency for players to – um, you know, either look ahead uh, to like, you know, a, a big matchup that's upcoming or to take the current opponent lightly just because maybe the record and he does a really nice job, I think, of, of messaging against that sort of thing. And um, yeah, th- this is, but you know, we can have those conversations even if they don't. And this is very much, I think, their, the make hay portion of their schedule. Um, you know, that San Francisco just pulled the six and four. So that, you know, lead is, technically gone in the division, even though they both have the same record. The 49ers have that, um, that uh, tiebreaker by virtue of their week two win. And so, yeah, this, this is a stretch where they should, they should go three and oh. And you wouldn't have said that before the season, knowing that the Rams were coming off the Super Bowl. but that team just looks, uh, they've got all sorts of problems. And now Matthew Stafford is not going to play this week and he's got a neck injury. And anytime you hear a neck injury, you know, I've, I've covered enough uh, Seahawks players who have had their careers end because of neck injuries. And, you know, this could just be a, a, a simple neck injury for Matthew Stafford. But uh, anytime you hear that, you've got to wonder if it's something more than that. And so hopefully for his sake, uh, nobody wants to see that happen to, to somebody. But, um, you know, they've got all sorts of problems. They just put Ashawn Robinson uh, on injured reserve. Cooper Cup is on injured reserve. And so uh, that game seems a whole lot more winnable than it did before the season started. Same with this Raiders game. Um, and obviously the Panthers game, you should be 3-0 and uh, coming out of that stretch and heading into that all-important 49ers rematch. What's the Seahawks' health status right now? They're coming off a bye, so was there time for some players to get healthy or are st- things still pretty much the same? No, they, yeah, they were looking pretty good you know, based on the, uh, the practice report, the two that we've seen. I think there was only a couple guys that were uh, listed as non-participants, and one of them is D. Eskridge, who – uh, got his hand like banged in the, uh, in the Bucks game in Munich, and it was not broken according to Pete Carroll. But he was listed as a non-participant on uh, both of those injury reports that they've had this week. So um, that is not entirely insignificant. I know he's not really producing anything as the number four receiver, but he has taken over as their kickoff returner. So if he can't play, I think you'd see DJ Dallas slide back into that role. Um, but you know, big picture wise. I think they are in pretty good shape. Um, you know, this late into the season, you expect you know to see some guys that are banged up, and so that's why the the buy came. It never comes at a bad time, but uh, that was helpful for them to kind of get healthy for this upcoming stretch that they've got. It's you know usually this time of the year, you, your injury report is just loaded with guys, and it's ten players long, and to only have two non-participants, I think that that shows that they're in pretty good shape. How has Geno Smith responded to the rare bit of criticism this season? For the most part, it's been roses for Geno Smith, but the rare bit of criticism, including some from his head coach, that he needs to be better just taking care of the ball when he's running with it. He can't have, you know, Pete Carroll, we all know Pete hates turnovers, and he doesn't want to see his uh, quarterback running recklessly with the ball. How has Geno responded to that criticism? 
Well, he responded by basically saying verbatim, you know, what Pete Carroll said, uh, talking about how he wants to, and he was asked, you know, about uh, what Pete Carroll said about that. And he said, yeah. And, uh, you know, that he wants to have his, he, he wants his running and he wants to be aggressive in his running in order to make that a strength, but he also has to be smart and to, you know, not avoid hits and to not put himself in the ball in harm's way, which is almost exactly what Pete Carroll said. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't, there's a tendency to kind of compare everything Gino does to what his predecessor did. And I don't like to do that because sometimes it just feels unnecessary. But in this case, it did strike me because a lot of the, the times, especially late in Russell Wilson's career, you, know, you would hear Pete Carroll have critiques about his game and Wilson would kind of uh, push back at it. And there was, you know, a few in particular last season about you know the, how aggressive he was late in games in certain situations and, uh, you know, there was one, you know, there was one play in an overtime loss to Tennessee where, you know, Carroll felt that the Seahawks were too backed up for Wilson to take as, as aggressive of shots down the field uh, as he took. And Carroll, you know, said he, he would like to be a little more conservative there. And, you know, Wilson was asked about that. And he said, you know, I, I always want to be aggressive. I don't want to change my play style. And so it was almost, you know, a, a subtle defiance of the head coach and uh, which I thought was interesting. And so, this was not that this was the opposite of that. And, and, you know, if you're Gino Smith, I don't think there's really, um, you know, anything that you can't argue about there. He's, he's got to be more uh, protective of the football, but the big picture there is that, you know, again, and we talked about this last week is, you know, when you're talking about a guy in the way that he runs the ball is like the only thing that you can really criticize in yeah. his game, then, you know, he's playing pretty well. We're speaking to Brady Henderson from ESPN's NFL nation Seahawks reporter here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Brady, one of the things, the takeaways in a negative light from the Seahawks loss in Munich to the Bucks was that the Bucks, who had a terrible ground game coming in to that game in, in Germany, ran the ball really effectively against the Seahawks. I know you and I talked about this last week, and they largely chalked it up to being a schematics and strategy flaw as opposed to you know, the, the Bucks coming out and smoking them in the mouth and doing what a lot of other teams had done, which is, of course, run the ball effectively on the Seahawks. I say all this because the Raiders come in, Josh Jacobs has run the ball really well this year, and they have had some success when they put the ball in his hands and try and ground it out. Uh, what have the Seahawks said about stopping the run this week against the Raiders? Yeah, they, they've said all you know, all of the, uh, you know, they've given Josh Jacobs all the praise that you would expect of a guy who has, um, as good as he is. And I know he's sort of been lumped in with like the Raiders poor drafting and, and recent first round picks and all that. And like, uh, just because they didn't pick up his option, like look at the guy play, look at the numbers. He yeah. is clearly uh, good. a good, uh, you know, look, there's the whole debate about first round running backs and all that, but he is clearly a very good player and a very dangerous player. And um, I, I, yeah, I do think that a big part of what happened last week or two weeks ago now uh, against the Bucks was they just underestimated Tampa Bay's run game and they really set up their defensive game plan to stop Tom Brady and figuring that you know they could handle that without some of their heavier personnel. Remember Brian Monet wasn't active in that game. I think you're going to see Monet active in this game and I think you're going to see them uh, do what they normally do, what they go into every game doing, which is sort of the first priority is to stop the run. That wasn't the case in the Bucks game, but against Josh Jacobs, a productive running back, I think they're going to get back to what they normally try to do going into every game. Hey, Brady, I just want to go back to Geno Smith for, for one second here. There is a lot of talk out there about his next contract. Um, the Seahawks could sign him to an extension. They could 
they could slap the franchise tag on him or he could hit the open market. It was funny. We were joking around the other day, like maybe he can replace another Wilson and that would be Zach Wilson in New York and go back to the Jets. Like I, I think that's unlikely, but right now, if you're a team out there like the New York Jets, that's sitting there going like, we've got a pretty good team, except we just need a quarterback. Geno Smith must be an obvious target for some GMs around the league. Do you think the Seahawks are going to, will they be willing to open up their wallets to pay this guy what some people are expecting could be a contract worth like 30 million bucks? Yeah, I was on a radio station in Seattle, and they asked me what it would take to sign Geno Smith, and I came up with a number that was north of $30 million, and I could just hear the jaws drop in the studio, and uh, they were floored. And But I, I really think that that's what it would take. You know, this is assuming that, you know, it, it continues on the current track, that he, he doesn't drop off, he continues to play as well as he does, you know, maybe wins a playoff game, Um I, yeah, I, I think I don't think it's going to be cheap, and I think a lot of people assume that you know just because he's been a backup for seven seasons that you know maybe you could get him to really one of those like very middle tier sort of Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston type deals, and I just don't see that happening. And there's a number of reasons there, and one of the big ones is that if you listen to the way Geno Smith talks about himself, he does not strike me as a guy who is going to give any sort of a discount. Um, he he talks about himself the way, you know, he just, it just makes me think that he feels like he has always been this good and that he should have been making big time money before this. Um, I also look at the fact that he is only, I put only in air quotes because it's a lot of money to everybody, but it's not a lot of money to quarterbacks. He's only made $14 million in the NFL. And he could look at this and say, look, this is my, this is my one shot to really cash in here, uh, or at least my best shot to really cash in. And I wonder if he's going to try to, you know, make up for lost time, so to speak, uh, for all of those years that he was playing on those minimum salary, you know, deals as a backup. And so he just doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to give any sort of a discount. He strikes me as a guy who is really going to max it out to try to max it out. And I, I don't fault him one bit for that. Um, you mentioned that, you know, the rest of the NFL and the other teams that could need quarterbacks. I was just sort of doing an, an informal look at it. And I counted up to 12 teams that could need quarter veteran quarterbacks this season. Uh, the Jets are that's a fascinating possibility just because of the history there. I think the Giants, too, he's also got some history there, and, and that's another team that could need a quarterback. You know, the entire NFC South could need a new quarterback after this season. There, there's just a lot of teams. And so, um, yeah, I, I just I, if, it, if it continues like this, I don't think it's going to be cheap, and the number that I think it would take is north of $30 million. That's on Geno's end. Now the question would become, have the Seahawks seen enough of him uh, to pay that kind of money, uh, would they franchise tag him? Which that's typically not something that they do. But this is, you know, this is a different case. And if there's ever a situation where you would think the franchise tag would come into play, it's this one. Brady, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game this weekend. Should be a good one. We'll do this again next Friday. All right, thanks, fellas. See you. Thank you. That's Brady Henderson, ESPN's NFL Nation, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, we got a bit of time here, so I do want to set a few things up. Um, first of which, I want to reset that what's going on today. Uh, we are going to be down at the Hollywood Theater, which is basically our home away from home for this World Cup. Uh, it is going to be England House today, 11 a.m. England, USA, 
I want to say it's the it was the most anticipated, at the very least, one of the most anticipated group stage matches going in one because of the group, right? That group B had Iran, Wales, England, USA. Right away, everyone's like, that's the politically charged group. Right. That's the geopolitical group. And it's playing out in really interesting fashion. Two, England and the U.S. on the global stage, two of the most re- big, recognizable countries and their national teams colliding and, on and this lo- stage. A lot of people already have the day off in the States so they can watch this game. Right. right? It's three. Thanksgiving. And then three locally, like the ties to the U.S. and England as Canadians, very obvious, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a vested interest from us. So we'll be down at the Hollywood Theater. Uh, I want to pull up what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we are going to be doing a giveaway, and I just want to get everything in front of me here. Uh, this is going to be... Tickets to today's match, England and USA. Tickets to Sunday's 8 a.m. Canada slash Whitecaps house, where Canada are going to be taking on Croatia in their second game. We're going to be giving away tickets to Argentina, Mexico as well. That's going to be a really good one. Uh, We're going to be giving away a gift card to Dankmart, which is the official concession supplier at the Hollywood Theater. What can you get from Dankmart? Uh, Greg had a very thorough rundown. What'd you say? They got lots of cool, funky pops. Amazing American cereal, too. Yes. Yeah, different oh, flavors yeah. of like just out, out of left field okay. pop flavors and stuff. Right. Yeah. I my, my kid and his buddy were there for the Canada match, and I went down to their table, and it was they were eating high chews and popcorn at the same time. <laughs> so that was a nice, <laughs> healthy, healthy, well rounded. sugar lunch. Then, Hey, guys. Oh, it's yeah. going great. <laughs> yeah. So they said the, the concession stand was quote unquote. Unreal and sick. Was so it, was it dank? It was dank, as a matter of fact. So we, you get a gift card to there, a gift card to the Hollywood Theater itself, which I'm assuming you can use for whatever. And then I'm actually disappointed in the dogs right now. Why? Really disappointed because there's a Simpsons reference to dank that. But the you, dangmo, the dank. Yeah. Yeah. See, I know. you know it. I know it. And yet your little Google fingers aren't going away there. It's fine. You know what? It's okay. It's he, all right. He did a pretty Andy good... has a folder of Simpsons clips and I usually scroll through that. He doesn't, he doesn't have the dang. I don't clip, have that one. No, yeah. I don't. That's kind mm-hmm. of a deep cut. Focus, focus, focus. So we're gonna be doing this huge uh giveaway. We're gonna give that prize package to the best ask us anything submission. Hashtag it AUA. Also add a ticket emoji. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. I have an Ask Us Anything here. Now, I'll say this. I really had to clean up uh, the language and the tone. There were a lot of like t- terms, terminology and words that I, I'm just going to paraphrase it. Because I think it's worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Someone asked, how do you get past the diving and the faking and I'll call it wimpiness that is on display at times at the FIFA World Cup? Um, it's, and you know what, uh, first answer is it's tough sometimes to be perfectly honest. Uh, it's been the biggest problem with the sport over the last two decades. I would say, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's the lack of scoring. I don't think it's the large swaths of time where nothing happens. And I don't think it's that a game can end nil, nil in a draw where nobody scores and nobody wins. I don't think those are the inherent problems. I think a lot of people, especially a lot of Canadian audiences that are just watching for the first time because i know a lot of people the first soccer game they ever watched from minute zero to minute 90 was on uh wednesday mm-hmm. when canada played belgium I, I was talking to a bunch of my buddies that do not care for the sport whatsoever they're like i watched it it was entertaining if you go a step further and you start watching more world cup matches you are going to get to the unsightly unseemly part of it which is diving faking simulation yeah. and i there's no really good Wait, because, I mean, this question that came is and ask us anything, it's like, how do you look past that? 
or how do you get around that? I think it's just for me, it's a, it's an on balance. I still enjoy the sport. It's it's an unnecessary the, evil of watching the sport, unfortunately. But I don't like soccer as much as I like hockey. I don't like soccer as much as I like football, right? That, That's that, and and I don't like watching. I I don't like it as much as. As golf, what I like about soccer are the major tournaments like the World Cup or the Euros. Um, Mike's very different than me. He watches it on a week-to-week basis. He will watch a lot of club soccer, a yep. lot of a lot of MLS. Uh, I don't. And frankly, that's part of the reason, right? Like, I don't like seeing it. I can't stand watching it. And you, you see it a lot in the CONCACAF qualifying. But if Canada is trying to qualify for the World Cup – I am willing to, I don't want to say overlook it, but just accept it, right? Mm-hmm. That it, Accept it that it's part of the culture and that I, as a guy that maybe doesn't appreciate the history of soccer or the different cultures around soccer or the, like, I don't have the solution to it. I don't know, but I know the powers that be are concerned about it because they want to make inroads into North America. Because you know why? There's so much money here, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they look at all the look at all the, the the European teams or the English teams that are owned by Americans. Well, yeah. maybe not for long, but uh, you know, like th- there is so much money to be had in soccer. And what we're seeing in the World Cup right now might be partly uh, a reaction to that because what they're doing with with the time wasting and the drawing out of injuries is they're going, all right, well, we're just getting a lot of extra time. So you're actually not going to, uh, not extra time, stoppage time. You're, you. you, you, you're, you're actually not going to gain an advantage from faking injuries. If you've got a one nil lead and there's like four minutes left. Right. So with regards to the quote unquote inherent wimpiness of the sport, um, the governing body of the sport recognized this as well. That's one of the big reasons that VAR was brought to the forefront because there was a time pre-video check where it was a strategy to go out and try and draw a foul or a pivotal moment in a match by tricking the referee, for lack of a better term. Trying to create contact or the idea of a foul where there wasn't one. And the referees were saying, this is extremely difficult to try and gauge in real time. So you implement VAR. Now, the unintended consequence was it's completely reshifted the offside and what we kind of understood mm-hmm. it as, right? Guys can be offside by a no- literally a nose. If you've got a big enough nose, you can be offside by a nose now. <laughs> but VAR... My knobby knees would put me offside Yeah, right? Like, it, you were just... It's just that big, bulging kneecap when you were running. It's, it, you're not He's offside by, by a patella. What, what's stopping them from having a red card situation for a clear dive? That's what I want to know. You have um, this review process. You see that it was a clear dive. No contact was made. Why is that player not out of they, the game? You, so you can be booked for a yellow for simulation, and we've seen it. Um, but he's asking, why not just you're gone, you're gone, and then problem solved. It might be a bridge too far. I'm not sure, uh, but it's you not, have to take that step though. It feels like it's not an awful. Well, I mean, we've seen it in other other sports. I mean, don't but forget. some countries don't care. Yeah, that's the they, they don't have. They just don't feel the same way. I think that's part of it. it. We look right? at it differently than other countries. We look fans at it differently. Might look right? at it, right? You remember yeah. a you lot remember? of it, and a lot of that is a, is a hockey basis, right? Do you remember when the NHL put out the divers list? Do you remember that? 
that was the, it. The shaming. List. That was that. Was, that's all that was. That wasn't about uh, finding guys five thousand dollars. That was yeah. A lot list. of soccer players would be on that list, and you'd be like, "You're right. I'm quite good at that." So go to. <laughs> they take pride. Yeah. Like, well, hey, we're on the list. <laughs> you guys, we're number one. If you if you want to do a, a very interesting exercise in this vein, go to the Wikipedia entry for like simulation diving in soccer. And then go down to the list of players that are known for it. It's like every soccer player in the world. I'm not kidding. Everybody's on it. It's like, here are some players that are known for diving, acting, simulation. All active players. Right. (laughs) Yesterday, Cristiano Ronaldo, regarded as one of the three best players of all time, went down under very, very questionable strength and power from a Ghanaian defender and drew a penalty and scored the penalty. And was celebrated because he became the first men's player ever to score in five World Cups. But it all came from simulation. Now, did he get jostled a bit in the box? Yeah. But he certainly went down and made a meal of it. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that part of the game is still there. And I'm not sure it's ever going to go away. And for a new audience that is put off by that, I'm sorry. I don't really have a lot of answers for you. It's part of the game. And if it's not your cup of tea, as I always say, I'm not going to try and browbeat anyone. No. It's not your cup of tea. Uh, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. It is a Friday show. Got some Ask Us Anythings. Yes? Yeah, let's do some Ask Us Anythings on the other side. Uh, we've got an open segment because Peter Galindo's not at 730, right? He's at 630? We have already talked to him. <laughs> do you want me to call him again? No, that's fine. Okay. Moj is going to join us at 8. Uh, we're going to do more What We Learns and Ask Us Anythings, and we'll do the grand prize giveaway in the 830 segment as well. we got an hour and a half left on the final show of the final day of the week. It's the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. I'm a motor dank. The dank. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130. 7:34 on a Friday. Halford Bruff Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, It is time now for Ask Us Anything Friday here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. An institution, really. I might be using that phrase a little too ambitiously, but it's an institution of Vancouver Sports Talk Radio. And the only one, <laughs> because we're it. Okay, I've got a good ask us anything here. Yes. Um, it's not phrased like an ask us anything, but kind of is. Okay. Unsigned text, if there is time, I would love if you guys touched on the difference between soccer and hockey, where soccer players crave going to the biggest clubs and hockey players shy away from it. It is so weird to me that some of the biggest stars of hockey want to go to Florida and be unnoticed. Okay. There's a few angles to this question and debate. Yeah. Number one, economically, soccer is very different in that the big clubs have the money. So you want to go to the big clubs because they can pay you a lot. No salary cap. There's no hard salary cap. Um, whereas you compare it to the NHL, and if you go to a place like Florida, you can actually make more playing for the Florida Panthers than you can playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens or the New York Rangers because of the tax situation. I mean, the most the most obvious answer to this is you can make the Toronto Maple Leafs 
and the Florida Panthers can only spend the same amount of money max out on a player. Mm -hmm. That's the rules of a hard cap. Toronto can offer 20% of its cap. So can Florida. That's not the case where if Man City wants Mm -hmm. a player, they'll just outbid everybody else for him. So, for for example, the club that uh, I support, Leeds, had a player, Calvin Phillips, who was terrific in Euro for England. He was Leeds' best player. City just came in and bought him in the summer. 60 million euro, whatever it was. Mostly just to have him. And he got paid, and it was great for him, but he's barely played for City. That being said, that is definitely an element. It's def- it's not the only element. No, I think there is something about hockey players, Canadian hockey players, where a lot of them, they don't want to be the center of attention. They don't want people coming up to them and talking to them in the streets. Uh, they just don't want that. They, it's I, I don't know why that is more of a hockey thing than other sports, but the one story that I always tell that I think is an interesting one is Drew Doughty. Yeah. When he played in L.A., he was a star early on. Remember, he was on Team Canada in 2010. He was one of the best players in the league. And the Kings didn't win the Stanley Cup until 2012. And he said that his life in L.A., in 2010 and 2011 and until they won the Stanley Cup was amazing for him because he made a lot of money. He played the sport that he wanted. He played in these big games like the game for Kent. Like he was he was playing at the highest level he possibly could. Yeah. And yet he could just walk around and be like, nobody knew who I was. I'm in L.A. The players all uh, live in the beach towns there. Oh, yeah, so it's, ama- it's an amazing it's, life. It was, but – when they won the Stanley Cup, he said, man, it's annoying because more and more people recognize me and I can't just go about my daily business. Now, there are some players that do want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who were we talking about the other day that like Nazem Kadri loved the pressure of playing in Toronto? He yep. loved being a, a, a Maple Leaf. And there are some players that want to go play for the big teams. Look, John Tavares chose it. Right, yep. he he Art, chose Art, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Artemi Panarin going to New York because he wanted the glitz and glamour. Of the he Broadway wanted thing. he wanted the glitz and glamour. Yeah. There is an element of hockey players that don't want that, and maybe that's just a conversation that the players have, and that's the way the momentum has turned. Maybe it's a bit of groupthink. Like the guys down in Carolina will say, like to the guys in Toronto or Vancouver. You know, like you guys have to deal with so much like media and garbage, and the fact that listen, no Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup since 1993. That is a factor in all this, mm-hmm. right? We don't know, <laughs> we don't know what a Canadian team how how they would be celebrated if they won the Stanley Cup if they had the ultimate success uh, up here. We haven't seen it in a long, long time. The the real great question that we'll never get the answer to. Uh, so the Drew Doughty example that you used, he's saying, "I love my life. I live." Uh, on the beach, it's gorgeous. I make $8 million a year playing hockey, and I can live in virtual anonymity. The follow-up question, which we'll never get the answer to, was, okay, would you trade it all in if the Toronto Maple Leafs were going to pay you $36 million a year instead of eight? Because that's the, that's the soccer dynamic. Mm-hmm. Is w- This team will pay you so much more money than any other team can. Are you willing to trade all of that in for this sum of money that, quite frankly... You're probably only going to get one shot at in your life, and no one else is going to be able to pay you. And we'll never get the answer to it, but that's the dynamic that we're talking about. 
I, I would say yes. I would take that in a heartbeat. You would just give up because eight million dollars is a lot of money. Yes, annually. That's a. I mean, that's the top one percent of the world's going to make that kind of money, right? I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm estimating, but it's hard not to look at it and say, well, what if I made, you know, like five, six times that amount of money? It's alluring for some people. Yes, mm-hmm. some people would trade in. The, the Think about in. all the cereal I could buy with that. See, now you're thinking like... 8 million will get me this much cereal, 36 mil, this much cereal. You can only eat so much cereal, my friend. Uh, you challenge can only accepted. eat so much cereal. <laughs> challenge accepted. Why is uh, Andy in the hospital? Here's an ask us anything from Rager. Do you guys think that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin's willingness to do media and interviews would open up the possibility of bringing back those old school Canucks towns hall, town halls with ticket holders. Oh, God, yes. Please let this happen. I, I, I love those town halls. You know what? I feel like the town hall was a, a – it existed in a time in our world, and it'll just never happen again. I get the I vibe just, the Canucks did not? not like the town halls. Oh, God. Not why so would much. You? Why would, <laughs> what's the upside? Well, one, I, don't, I, I barely even think that they're necessary anymore with the, the ability for fans to connect mm-hmm. with a variety of people. I mean, Jeff Molson, the, the owner of the Montreal Canadiens, was doing them on Twitter. For a while, yeah. a few years ago, um, one is it's it's kind of an antiquated notion. In like you can do everything over Zoom, you can do it over social media. But uh, more specifically, I don't know if any executive group wants to put themselves in the line of fire like mm-hmm. that. Um, do you notice that watching the World Cup, how much more theatrical and dramatic and daring soccer managers are compared to what we're used to in the NHL? And what they'll say. Yeah, part of it is the tournament aspect. Mm. It's like you want to... But they're more aggressive, aren't they? they? Are. They're more aggressive. Yeah. They're more theatrical. In the, I mean, if you again, if you go to like club football and you watch more data, there is a much more day-to-day approach. Like, is there a Daryl Sutter of, uh, you know, <laughs> famous, famous uh, soccer managers? Do you know that's up there just like doesn't say anything or just like boring, doesn't want to even oh, have jo- Johnny Tightlips. Bill Belichick. Do- doesn't wanna doesn't wanna have anything to do with the media, doesn't doesn't embrace that part of his life. I mean I'm asking you, I don't know. Maybe some listeners w- would know, but maybe it's a bit more of a European thing too. Yeah. I mean it- But when you listen to Jurgen Klopp speak, is there anyone like him in the NHL? But in, he's in really, terms of- but it's interesting because he's really fiery on the touchline. Like he's very thoughtful and articulate when he speaks, and he mm-hmm. comes across as very measured. But then when he's on the touchline in matches, he's going crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, some of the celebrations over the top, people kind of take note of. Right? You know who the coolest guy on the planet is? Uh, Carlo Ancelotti, mm-hmm. Real Madrid manager. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the highlights of him, and I use highlights loosely. Um, when the big goals are scored, like when Real went on that storybook run yep. all the way through, they pan over to him on the sidelines and he's sitting there and he's just shrugs and he's got his hands in his pockets right like there's not and it's he's got the demeanor of the coolest calmest guy mm-hmm. on the planet he's going to be Canada's manager in 2026 so that's very oh exciting. that's right yeah, well. yeah, yeah. yeah i remember we were joking about that because he, he has a house here doesn't he lives here or? yeah he's got yeah, yeah. he's got huge ties to the west coast of canada and I, I you know i dare to dream all due respect to the job herdman's done but ancelotti is like a, a giant in the global game for him to manage Canada one day would be amazing. So anyway, the town halls, no, I don't think they're ever coming back. I'm sorry to say, but I just think it's, it's an environment that's too explosive. And Jim combustible. Rutherford should hold a Twitter space. <laughs> <laughs> you can run it. You're um, the only person I know. Like I, I'm not into Twitter spaces at all. And people have been like, you guys should do them. You guys should do them. And I'm like, eh. 
So here's no, a, here's no, 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 no. Here's here's an ask us anything from David from Poco, and okay. and I'm sorry, David, you've kind of stepped in one here. Okay. Uh, here, here's a question: Are soccer players mentally weak? How does a shooter at the absolute top of their game with a stationary ball not pick corners all day long? A goalie should only have a 20% chance of making a save. Did you ever see that video of Phil Mickelson making a flop shot over a guy from a club length away? That is mentally tough. David from Poco, did you ever see the times that Phil Mickelson choked in major tournaments because it happened all the time. Yeah, and he was, um, wasn't he? All the time. Wasn't he famous for saying, like, I'm such an idiot? I'm or such I, an idiot at the U.S. Open. I'm a choke. Yeah. And then there was a numerous chokes. and I mean, and that's golf. But why aren't soccer right. players picking the corners, I think, is what he's curious about. Well, his comparison is, is ridiculous. Well, well, Phil yeah. Mickelson aside, why, though, why, why aren't they picking the why corners? Did, why did Alfonso Davies, uh, let the, I mean, let's face it, I, I think he choked on that on that PK. That was that was, that, that was, that was yeah. the pressure of, of, uh, of the moment. It was the pressure of standing over the ball for so long. It was the pressure of facing, arguably, the top keeper in the world. It was the pressure of trying to score Canada's first ever goal at the World Cup yeah. and uh, are mentally weak. I, how many players have we seen in soccer at the biggest moments? Even guys that, you know, like it's just really, really hard. Guys like yeah. well, there's the less Engl- moments too. Eng- England, in England in the PKs at Wembley in the Euro final. Like those guys were so nervous. And you know why? Because the downside to missing those shots is huge. Look at what happened to them. Look at the history of PK disasters in England. So you're saying where people can can list them. So they're but, taking the high percentage shot because they get so few of them, is what you're saying. But they're not mentally weak. We we just had a guy that played for the Vancouver Canucks go into the Hall of Fame in Roberto Luongo, who faced a lot of pressure and sometimes didn't live up to it. That's sports at the highest level. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I, I, ju- I just think making the golf comparison is ridiculous because golf is the sport where I would argue the most choking happens. There have been so many famous chokes. The guy, the guy who's running Live Golf right now is one of the most famous chokers ever, and he was an incredible golfer. I mean, I feel like this is a bit of it's got to be either trolling or he just really didn't think this through because it was also one player. That missed the penalty. <laughs> One, give credit to the keeper. I don't know if you're the, the percentages are off here. Courtois saved fifty five percent of penalties that he's faced in this calendar year. But there's been countless other penalties in this World Cup where guys have slotted home no problem whatsoever. Everything's so heightened though because there's there aren't many shots in general in soccer. So when you yep. get a, a big one like that, you're gonna put a lot of attention on yep. it. How many times does a hockey player miss the net from six feet in front in the slot? Mm-hmm. Like eighteen times a game, but we're not putting this type of exactly. spotlight on it like yep. we do because it's also, not a, it, yeah. there's in that stationary moment. Right, because the clock's always moving and the game's always Is that moving. why, yeah. though, guys don't try and go top corner and go like, like you're oh, not no, stopping? I'm, I'm, I'm oh, most of them do. do. Most, there's a million different ways to do penalties, by the way. There's mm. the Panenka, which we saw Cavallini do right. in the yeah. Japan match. Um, uh, there's there's a, a technique now where they'll delay the run-up to try and send the goalie one way or the other early and then just put it where the goalie isn't. There's a lot of guys that put it down the middle because they're assuming that the goalie's going to dive yeah, to going to move. There's yeah. a million different ways to do it. Right, the the penalty. I is- mean, the risk of trying to pick a corner is first of all. I don't think people that follow that don't follow the sport know how fast they're hitting that ball and how mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. they're hitting that ball. It is incredible. If you miss that by like a millimeter on your foot, you're Baggio. 
yeah. at the World Cup. Well, that's and what, that's and what I was blasting, assuming. And it's yeah. blasting out of the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Right? You, know, you like have so that. few chances, you don't want to take a chance of screwing it up. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's part of it. Is you're the, It's so statistically leaned in your favor to score. The shooter has. I don't know off the top of my head what the actual percentages are. But um, it's changed. The dynamic of the penalty has changed a lot over the last 20 years, in large part because uh, the keepers are now all six foot six, six foot seven. I mean, that was one of the things from the Belgium matches. Courtois looked. Yeah, he's a monster. Physically imposing because <laughs> he's, he's huge, yeah. right? So Here, here's a text. Yes. Watch Ronaldo take his PK yesterday. He takes about four or five super deep breaths to compose himself before he shoots. It's not easy. You know who else did that exact same thing? Gareth Bale against the Americans. I noticed that when he had his PK, he was just like taking these huge deep breaths. Yeah. I thought I thought he was going to just like faint because no, the breaths that's, were so that deep. Is, that is a thing. You see yeah. a hitter walk to yeah. the plate in baseball? A lot of them do that yeah, as well. It's, yeah, it's not, reserved, yourself. it's not reserved solely to yeah. um, football. The, the interesting thing with it is the breathing exercises, for lack of a better term, are designed for when um, a group event gets boiled down to a singular one-on-one matchup. So that's why it happens in baseball, because baseball goes from being nine guys on the field all trying to contribute to something to suddenly it's pitcher versus batter, and it becomes this 1v1 thing. That's what makes baseball such a spotlight sport. Uh, Soccer, it's interesting because it goes from being the ultimate team game where you need all 11 guys Mm -hmm. pulling the rope to all of a sudden, now it's Davies versus Courtois. Really, that's it. Can you guys imagine yourselves in those scenarios? Can you, can you put yourself? I would, I would faint. <laughs> yeah. Andy can you put died. yourself in that that scenario? So like BP and Mission Text in. I've seen a few air balls from the free throw line in big games. Yeah, because you get there and you're like, uh, are my arms made of rubber right now? You have those moments where it goes from being a team game to an individual event within the, the framework of this is a team mm-hmm. sport. And right? the players that do succeed, a lot of them say, well, I, I blacked out. I'm not sure yeah. what happened. That's probably the best approach to take. Yeah. Yeah. When you alcohol, you it. mean? Like yeah. alcohol. Just mm-hmm. just chugging a bottle of vodka before After you, you score, yes. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I thought, well, you said blackout. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, uh, no, it's we've. T- I mean, we've talked about it a lot. We did a lot of the stuff during the pandemic when there was no sports to cover, reaching out to various, like, mental coaches and the mindfulness guy and everything else. But it is – it kind of takes the conversation about sports to that next level where you're talking about mental approach and breathing techniques. And, you know, that's, I mean, the big reason why, I mean, how many uh, mental coaches did Mikey DiPietro have at one point? There's like three. He had like one with the Canucks, one with the Most Canadian goalies Junior have team. one. Yeah. At least yeah. one and now. Then he, and well, then he had his own so. personal yeah. one. Yeah. Well, like specific mental coach, not just a yeah. goalie. Hey, speaking of nerves, Colin and Tawasan ask us anything. Of the four of you, who is the most nervous sports watcher, i.e. can't sit still, yells at the TV, and who is the most chill? Was that on display at the Hollywood Theater for the Canada game? Uh, I, for a big game, uh, I am a very nervous sports watcher. Yeah, I but, Halford, but Halford is a big yeller at the TV. He's I actually was... kind of annoying to watch games with sometimes. Oh, um, no way. Oh, no way. Yeah. The truth comes out. <laughs> no, yeah. no, we've no. talked about this before. We've talked about it we've talked about times. Watching basketball with you is insufferable. You're just like, you talk to the TV the whole time, and you try and predict everything that happens. Like, yeah. oh, there's a three, swish, and then it clanks, It was like, you, I would like, watch oh, games with my dad like swish. that as a kid, and I remember every, he was like, shoot on the penalty guy, or the power play guy. Like, every shoot, time right. the Canucks had the puck on the power yeah. play, he'd yell at the TV, shoot, shoot. It's like, good, because it, it encourages them to shoot if you do that. That's why you do it. And boom goes the dynamite. I do a lot of... I do a lot of screen talking. I was more quiet at the Hollywood, mm-hmm. but I had a five-minute period after the missed Davies penalty 
where I was probably too demonstrative in my disappointment because everyone yeah. at the table was like, oh, this is great. They're still playing so well. They're still creating chances. And I knew what a jest, that what an opportunity had just been missed. I was doing the, I was trying not to do hand, head in hands. Yeah. But I was very much just grabbing the back of my hat, just trying to be like, like I'm a big pacer. Uh, yeah. So the most nervous I've ever been at sports, there was two moments, uh, overtime against the Blackhawks. Yeah, uh, I was under and, a blanket. And overtime, Canada, U.S. And I was pacing around. And between the overtimes, I had to go for a walk outside. Like, yeah. I was just – it is a very – like, we all we all want it, right? And you can compare this to uh, what the athletes have to go through. They all want to be parts of these big moments. Like, this this, this is what their, their all their work has, has has lived up to. Like, this is, this is why they do what they do do mm-hmm. and this is why they practice and they work hard and they dedicate and they make so many sacrifices is to get to be part of these big moments and the cruelty of sports is that sometimes you can work your whole life at something and be passionate about it and just be so obsessed with it and then you get to these big moments and they go completely wrong yep they go completely wrong now hopefully you have the Hopefully you have the understanding that it's not like you're not a failure because you reach that moment. Like your life isn't wasted because along the way, hopefully you've enjoyed your time, right? Mm-hmm. And but but I think it's actually really sad when when you hear athletes like I sacrificed and all I wanted to do was to get this one moment, and they didn't really enjoy it along the way. I thought it was interesting that Luongo, who was I think the most fascinating athlete to ever come through Vancouver, said. I wish early on in my career I had enjoyed it a little bit more. Like mm-hmm. taking a look around and appreciated the fact that I'm in the NHL doing what I love. Focus on what's cool about that as opposed to the opposite. Yeah. I wonder if he even would have been able to, to be honest. You have to learn these lessons. Well, but don't the, you have yeah. to learn these lessons? Don't you have to, in some ways, uh, be humbled or you get to this moment and you fail and you go, surely there's got to be a better way. Yeah, it was. It's funny because Shane O'Brien, uh, fairly infamous in Vancouver for his his ways. I did talk to uh, a couple people that were working in the league and a couple people that actually worked for teams that he was on, and they say say one thing about the guy. He appreciated every single moment about how awesome it was to be in the NHL and be an NHL player yeah. while he was in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And, you know. And just worked so hard at his craft. Yeah. Like, of I mean, being in the NHL. But like, he enjoyed it. But that's the rub is that I think sometimes if you start to maybe become cognizant of how awesome your life is, it's almost a fear of like, I, I might take this for granted or I, I might mm-hmm. be one day be like, oh. I'm pretty content. Like I don't, <laughs> this is awesome. I don't need to push super hard because I pushed to get to this point. Right. The, the other, the flip side of this argument is that JJ Watt, when he was having, when he was with the the Houston Texans, he was super cognizant of how much he had to put into his playing career. And then he's like, I know that after my playing career is done, that's when I'll be able to sit back, relax, and enjoy, but I can't do that when I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, the mentality does not enter. Like, I have to treat this not just a job, but a job that I am terrified of losing because the moment that I either let my guard down or try and... But do you think that's just something... Uh, honestly, do you think that's just something he's told himself or do you think that's the think absolute truth? I think it's something he's told himself and he probably adheres to it but do you think it's the do you, do you think it's necessarily I think he consciously the truth? has to tell himself that because otherwise he'll probably 
slip, for lack of a better term. Like, I'll take a day off today. I'm going to go to In-N-Out Burger, and I'm going to Netflix all day. And then what, then the next day he'll be out of the league or something? I think he thinks like that. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. It's but a control league, right? No, 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 but, but is, is it correct? Is it the correct way of going about There's. I don't know, man. I mean, Philosophy. Halford and Bruff just talking philosophy about life. And know, achievement and striving. I know we got to go to break, but I want to I want to read this one because we were talking about this before the show. Uh, we can answer it on the other side, and we'll do it with Moj as well. Ask us anything. Uh, this is from Adam, the former Bath guy. If you guys weren't the host of the number one morning sports talk radio show in Vancouver, thanks, Adam. Uh, you had to do a regular everyday job. What would you do? We discussed this earlier. We discussed this earlier. Oddly enough, uh, we will all answer on the other side. It's the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet six fifty.